God for his faithfulness. And one of the ways that he's exerted and extended his faithfulness to us is through his word. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 14 this morning. Mark 14. As we saddle up our horses. Now some of you got here early enough um, for the uh, preliminary pictures and things like that and the music. And you heard an old song, Saddle Up Your Horses. And it said, we've got a trail to blaze. Now, if you were looking at the pictures of the horseback riding that went on on the Great Adventure Weekend, there was very little trail blazing going on on those horses, okay? Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, my granddaughter, um, Kristen, was the, or um, what's her name? Cam, uh, Cammie, right, Cammie? Yeah. Um, my granddaughter, Cammie, was there, and um, they were picking out a special horse for her, you know, picking out her, letting her pick her horse. And I said to the Wrangler, I said, is should she ride one of, you know, like the most gentle of them? And this, this explains the horses that we ride. And she said, it doesn't matter which one she rides. They're all the same, all right? These are not trailblazers, okay? The, the, the trail had been blazed except for at one point, all right? I was riding the lead, the lead steed, okay? Uh, Misty, all right? Although I think she was a she, not a steed. But anyway, um, I was riding the one right behind the, the head wrangler, all right? But Stephanie Porterfield's horse wanted my position, okay? Stephanie, even though these are very gentle horses, Stephanie could not control her horse, okay? So her horse passed a couple of horses, got up to mine, and started to bite mine, all right? I immediately, because of the control that I had, I immediately pulled my horse off of the trail. We started blazing, all right? All right, we only got a few step, few feet into the woods, but we were safe, and we were okay. I was still on my horse, and Stephanie's was now the lead steed, and I pulled mine, again, with the control that I had, pulled mine back into position, and, and we made it the rest of the way in, all right? Now, I say all this to say we right now are saddling up and getting ready for an adventure, all right? We're not going through the woods in, in southeastern Tennessee like some of those who are on the Great Adventure weekend, we are heading part way up the Mount of Olives, just outside the eastern gate of Jerusalem, and we're going to stop not very far up at the Mount of Olives at the wine press, the Garden of the Wine Press. All right, in Mark chapter fourteen, talks to us about that, starting with verse thirty-two. Speaking of Jesus and the, and the disciples, his 11 that were still with him, remember Judas already took off to betray him. So Judas was off to do his evil. The other 11 are with Jesus. They've just been told by Jesus that they're all going to run away when, when the going gets tough. And that didn't, go, that didn't sit well with them. And so they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, the wine press. And Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. You hear that? This is Jesus, the Son of God. Remember that two Mark's talking about here in this in this gospel, this good news. The Son of God is beginning to be deeply distressed and troubled. Now he explains it. 
describes it. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is sadness. This is sorrow. This is, this is deep. To the point of death. He said to them, now you just remember speaking to three, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Now, the hour wasn't a literal 60 minutes. It was the hour of the, the circumstances that are transpired here, the hour of his, of his death, of his crucifixion. It's more than an hour, but it's, that's to describe it. And Jesus says this in verse 36, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples, the three, and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Remember what Simon had just told him? Just within an hour of this, maybe two hours, Simon had just said, I will die for you. I will never betray you. Now he's sacked. Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Especially after that warning he had just gotten. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. Some of your eyes are heavy right now. Wake up. Come on. They did not know what to say to him. I mean, they're busted twice. But he's returning the third time. He said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. We'll get to that part next week, Lord willing. But let's look at the battle that is going on in the garden. There is a battle waging. Talk about an adventure. This is a picture of the adventure that we are on as we follow this Lord Jesus, this Son of God that Mark is describing to us. Twelve battles going on. One winner, 11 losers. But not complete losers. Because of the victory of Christ, the 11's loss will be turned into victory. But let's first look at the battle being waged 
in the person of the unique, one and only Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah. He's in a battle. He's been in a battle this whole time since he was born in Bethlehem. When he entered into human flesh, fully God and fully man, there's a battle going on. He has existed from eternity past. He wasn't new in Bethlehem. He had been alive forever before. But now, in a very unique way, as a man in the form of a servant, as Paul puts it in Philippians chapter 2, he's dealing with the body. And he's feeling it. Because of his knowledge, did you hear that statement in Isaiah 53 this morning that Mark read about his knowledge? Because of his knowledge, he was going to be able to do all these things that he's about to do in this hour. Because of Jesus' knowledge, he knew what was coming. He knew what this hour was going to hold. He knew what was in this cup that he was praying that the Father would take away from him. You remember what the cup was as he, as, it, as he described it in the Last Supper that just happened a couple hours before this? You remember what he said the cup was? The blood of the new covenant. My blood of the new covenant. The real cup, not the cup that he, that he shared with the disciples that night. The real cup that was going to be partaken of was his blood. He was going to shed his blood. None of us like that. None of us like that. In any way. We, we go to great lengths to keep from shedding our own blood. I kid, I kid Ron Payne a lot. Uh, Ron has been on um, many excursions, many adventures with me um, in doing odds and ends kinds of things. And I kid him that he always ends up bleeding before, before we're finished. He doesn't like it, but he loves me. And so he's willing to shed his blood to help me change headlights, you know, et cetera. Um, move my daughter for the 18th time or what, you know, whatever the case might be. There will be blood. But we, we try to avoid it. Do everything that we can to keep from, from it happening. And Jesus is feeling that right now. In this, this body of flesh that he has, he's feeling that. He's feeling the anguish, the distress. He's felt anguish and distress before. And, he's, and he knew this was coming. And he knew what it was going to feel like, but now he's feeling it. It's really happening. All that we read of in Isaiah 53, that's all going to happen to him in this hour that he was talking about, this extended period now over the next day. All that's going to happen to him. 
Everything that he prophesied through Isaiah that was going to happen to him is now going to happen to him. It's an amazing passage, isn't it? Written hundreds of years before his birth, describing so meticulously the things that are taking place during this hour now. He knew it was coming, and he was not looking forward to the pain of that physical experience or that spiritual experience because he was also not only going to be having his body broken and his blood spilt, he was also going to bear the transgressions, the sins, as Isaiah 53 says, on his own body, in his own experience. We know the pain of sin. We, we know. And, and I, I even hate to bring that up because it brings us to some places that we don't like to go back to and think about these awful things that we've done and how terrible we felt for doing it. But I want you to think about that for a second and then multiply that times 250 or 250,000 or 250 million. All the body of Christ from the beginning to the end, all of our sin. The sin of the whole world of all times. All of the sin was placed on him. He knew that was coming And he wasn't looking forward to it. He was in deep distress and despair. His soul was troubled as he thought about what was going to take place. He knew that it wasn't going to be long and he was going to yell out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he felt it, he knew that was coming. He wasn't looking forward to it. To the point that in his honesty, in his prayer, he said, Father, you can do everything. Take this cup. But in the same breath, he wasn't even pausing. He said, yet not my will, but your will be done. Praise God. As God, he had the power just to immediately enter back into the presence of the Father and the glory of God in the heavenlies. But he did not do it because he wanted the will of God to be accomplished and he was the way. The way, not a way, not a possible way. He was the way. And so he continued. No thanks to his companions. He goes back after the first round. And, you you know, I'm ridiculing them. Shouldn't. Should not. But they are going through it. They are going through it. He knew they were going through it. That's why he told them to be together and to watch and pray. Praying for him, he already shared with them his anguish. He's also wanted them to pray for each other because they're about ready to face it. 
It's going down, and they need to be ready. And they, they are stressed, not knowing what's going on, not figuring it out, not putting two and two together like they should have, like we struggle with too. And when we're emotionally stressed like they were, it's some people's first response to that is to, is to sleep. Some of us have been there. And these guys were there. And he's challenging them. And he makes this amazing statement. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He was feeling the weakness of the body. He knew it. Hebrews 4.15 says that we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. He knew the weakness of the body. He knew the temptations that came his way as a full human as well as being fully God. He knew those temptations. He was facing one of the greatest ones of them right now. He knew those temptations. He sympathized with those guys. But he also knew that they could be helping each other right now. And so in his sympathy, he didn't stop teaching them. He didn't stop encouraging them. He didn't stop chiding them. Wake up. Come on. Get serious. Pray for each other. Pray for me. This is a serious hour. He went back and said, pray the same thing. Probably not the exact same words because we have some other wording in the, in the other Gospels. But all three times he was, he was saying the very similar things. You know how he did it? You know how he got through it? Without the prayers of his buddies? He got through it because of his knowledge as Isaiah said in Isaiah 53. Because he knew what was coming, and he knew what was coming after. The writer of Hebrews 12 says, fix, our, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the Father. How did he do it? With that knowledge of what was going to happen. And that knowledge of what was going to happen because of his death gave him joy. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of anguish, in the midst of turmoil within his, within his soul, the war that was happening between his spirit and his body was won by the joy that was set before him based on the knowledge that he had of everything that was going to happen as a result of what he was about to do. And this meeting right here was part of what caused him joy. This gives him joy right now. Not 100% absolute. Because it's possible for us, I'm not saying any of us would ever do this, but it's possible for people to go to church and not really go to church. You know, some of us, and I'm not saying anybody here, but some of us are really good at going through the motions. 
And it happens every week somewhere. So it's not a total joyful thing when he sees his people come together, but it gives him joy when his people come together to worship and praise him and give him glory for all that he has done and all that he is doing and all that he will do. It gives him joy to hear his people say, great is thy faithfulness. We just sang that. So many people don't recognize his faithfulness. Don't honor him, don't glorify him for that. They go through their whole lives and never thank him for that. We come together and we sing it, and he is excited about that. He is joyful. He knows the work that he was about to do was going to create things like this and beyond this. He knew knew that it was going to bring us to glory forever through the forgiveness of our sins. He knew that it was going to bring us to the judgment, his judgment seat, the judgment seat of Christ, where he was going to reward all those who live their lives for his glory. All that gave him great joy, and that enabled him to win this battle between the spirit and the body that he was facing. And he was giving his disciples that knowledge, that ammunition that they needed to be victorious. They, were, they failed that night, but they picked it up. They picked it up. They learned how to do it. After his resurrection, he told Peter, in, in different words, he told Peter, you're, you're going to need the joy set before you, buddy, for what's, gonna, what's coming down for you. Because he told him in John 21, we weren't, we're not turning to it right now, but you can look at it later. And by the way, everything that we're talking about this morning, this is all look at later stuff too. This week, go go through this stuff. Look at this stuff again. But in John 21, Jesus tells Peter that he's going to die for him. Literally, he's going to physically die for him. Just like Peter said he would. He was willing to earlier. After his resurrection, before his ascension, Jesus told Peter, you're going to die for me. But he said, you follow me. You do this. And Peter still wasn't really on track yet with the joy set before him concept. And he said, what about him? Pointing to John. What about him? Is, is he, you know, is he get, is he got, you know, come on, tell him. Tell him he's got to die too. Jesus said, if, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. And John said in, in, his, in his gospel, he said, just because of that statement, a lot of people said, John isn't going to die. He said, he didn't say that. And John did die. So did Peter. But Peter learned, as we see through the rest of, of his life in Acts and in his letters, Peter learned how to put that joy before him and to live through some pretty tough stuff, including death. These guys won. They were winners in this battle they were in. Peter described the battle in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 11, where he says, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, Abstain from the sinful desires which war against your soul. 
That's a pretty good picture of what's going on here in Gethsemane, isn't it? He, he had firsthand knowledge of the war. He heard, he heard Jesus talk about the, the war he was in. He'd been through a number of them since then, before he wrote this. He said, we got, we got sinful desires that are warring against our soul, and these guys picked it up. They failed that day. They slept and they rested because they, were t- they, were, they couldn't handle it. But Jesus wasn't done with them. It wasn't over. Oh, they may not get any rewards at the judgment seat of Christ for what took place that night, but they were going to get plenty for later, for the things they did later in their lives. Because they learned that concept of the joy being set before them, just like it was set before Jesus. Based on the knowledge of the word of God. That's how we know it's coming. That's how we're able to sing, great is your faithfulness. How do we know that? Because we're watching him do what he says he will do. We watch him when we look at the word of God, the history of it. We watch him when we look at the history of his church. We, we, watch, we, we see his faithfulness as we look at the history of our church, of our family, of our marriage, of our individual lives. He's faithful. He's faithful. And we know it because of the word of God. And so as his disciples grew in their knowledge of his word, reflecting on all the things that he reminded them that they, that they had heard from him, which he gave them as a promise from John in the last supper time when he was teaching them, he said, I'm going I'm to remind you of everything I taught you. And as he reminded them of those things and they wrote them down and we have them here, they reflected on the truth of those things. And that knowledge gave them joy that got them through everything by the power of of his Holy Spirit. So saddle up your horses. We've got some trails to blaze. We're not going alone. We were singing in prayer meeting, I think, this last week, and we sang it at the Great Adventure Weekend. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. And I have to say, every time I sing that song, I praise his name. I have never, ever been in a situation where I was alone with just me and Jesus. Now, I mean, when I'm alone, it's just me and Jesus. But I never feel like everybody else has forsaken me. Everybody, I've never been in Jesus' shoes where everybody was sleeping. If I'm in distress, if I'm troubled... I've got Sherry. I've had her for 42 years of marriage and 46 years of knowing her. And I've always been able to take, take it to her. And she gives me encouragement, etc. I've always had brothers and sisters in Christ that pick me up. That's that's what he does with the body of Christ. But like Peter, I want to say, if it comes down to it, though none go with me, I'm still going to follow. And I might not do it well, as Peter didn't sometimes, but I'm going to tell you, that's my commitment. That's my goal. I I don't want to be asleep. I don't want to be asleep when I need to be praying for somebody. I don't want to be asleep when I need to ask people to pray for me. 
I might be tired and I might need rest. But Lord, give me the strength to watch and pray with my brothers and sisters, with my kids and grandkids, with my wife. Because this is tough. This is tough. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Admit it. Face it. Don't think you've got this on your own. If the Son of God wanted his disciples to be with him that night and to be praying for him, how much more do we need people being with us and praying for us? And do we need to be there to pray and to help those who are in need? And there are times when it is intense. A lot of times that intense time comes when we're ill, we're facing illness, we're facing bad news from doctors. Or when we're stressed, we're facing bad news from our employer, from our, from our job or from the economy or whatever the case might be. When stress hits, a lot of times that's when the, when the battle's most intense. We gotta pray for each other. We gotta watch and pray. Overcome the weakness of the body. Let the Holy Spirit in us and our knowledge of the word of God take over. So that even when we are sleeping, we wake up in the middle of the night as it happens more and more. Who do I need to pray for tonight? Why just sit here and toss and turn? Who do I need to pray for tonight? Who's going through it tonight? How many times have we done that? And sometime in the next few weeks or months, somebody says, man, I was going through it this one day and night and boy. The Lord just spoke to me and helped me and encouraged me through his word. How many times does that happen? He knows what he's doing. He knows how he puts us together. You still asleep? Caught you. No, let's not sleep. Let's watch and pray. Because he has given us, he's shown us how to do it. He's given us the the victory. Now he puts us together and says, watch and pray. Help each other. Live for him. Shine for him in this hard, dark world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. What a Savior. That you would go through this. Lord Jesus, thank you. For us. for the very Pharisees and teachers of the law that were condemning you, for the, for the very soldiers that crucified you. You did it. Help us. Father, there are still some within the hearing of this message this morning who still don't believe They still haven't said, Jesus, I believe that you did that for me. Please forgive me of my sins. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Help me to live this life for your glory, watching and praying, learning so that I know the joy that will get me through. Help them to do that today. Give them the faith, the courage, the wisdom. Help them to be willing to give up their sin, to give up their own way, to give up the other things that, was, that they were looking at to, to prop them up, to give them salvation that never succeeded. 
Help them to trust in you, Jesus. And Father, for those of us who trust in you, wake us up. Remind us of our responsibility to watch and pray. Because this is the big leagues. These are our fiery darts coming at us. We need you. We need each other. Thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for modeling it too so that we can keep our eyes fixed on you and by your strength, by the power of your Holy Spirit, by the brothers and sisters of the body of Christ that we can follow your example. In Jesus' name, amen.